0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? No. Oh, she probably did, though, John. Um, Um, I, Miles had it on and it was really comforting to me
1: Oh, because Elton John has lived
0: through a lot of shit.
1: Yeah. He's sure. I have to say, I I don't like the biopics where the people have a hand in them. It's always a little too rosy. Did you you see it? I didn't see it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fine. The actor who played him was, you know, good. And, and it's not, and I don't mean to say that I, you know, you just want to hear all the dirt, but even like the queen biopic, they, 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 they could do the complete story of Freddie Mercury and his warts, but none of the other ones got portrayed I, in anything that is a positive so true, light. They're still alive. Yeah, I think you have to, I think if you want to be involved in your own biopic, you write something up and you say, don't do it until after I die And then they'll either, you know, take your notes or not. But if you want to tell the real story, you can't. You can't tell. You know what I I mean? I totally, hundred percent agree. Hey, let me run this by you. All right, I'm looking through my list here. All right, what is your love language? Oh Miles, Do you have a love language, and what is it, and how is it working for you?
0: My love language is true crime, no, um, my love language is okay, miles and I in therapy read the book she gave us this book, that book, the love Language, five love language lo- love languages, and we read it, and I can't remember what my love languages are right now oh what are yours
1: well i you- i i I'm not sure I'm trying to figure it out that's why I was asking oh. you about it so what is um i think i think my primary one is acts, deeds, you know, more so than words, like Aaron's is words and mine's deeds. So like, that's always a little tr- challenging, because he's constantly, you know, thanking me and praising me for things. And I'm like, Yeah, whatever. And then I'm constantly doing things for him. And we're both just doing our own thing to the other person. Oh. And it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, that's really, you're literally speaking another language. Yeah, I, um, I think I'm, I like, I like deeds, too. Yeah, I'm a deeds person. But Miles is also a deeds person, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, that's
1: good. That's you good. Think. I don't know. One of, one of them is presents. Oh, I like presents. <laughs> one of them is... There's five, right? Mm-hmm. So one is words, one is deeds, one is... And it's got a better name, like...
0: Yeah, it's like...
1: Words of kindness.
0: Presence. I don't know the other two, but I'm definitely... I definitely like presents i've always but i i like giving presents i like getting them but i like giving presents like i'm yeah. obsessed with giving presents right now oh my god me
1: too me too i think the reason that mine is deeds is because i learned at a young age that anybody can say anything and they don't mean it necessarily so the proof is in the pudding
0: well right you, you, you right show me, don't tell me. And that's Mm -hmm. great for writing too. It's sort of Mm -hmm. like, show Mm -hmm. me, don't tell me. Um, but yeah, that's that book people love. I I saw a t-shirt that said music is my love language. Like people have all kinds of funny things. Mm -hmm. I like that book a lot. It actually really helped us.
1: I think it's good to know what yours is. And it, the problem is asking for it. The problem is like getting to a place where you feel comfortable enough with somebody and And you have to, and what's annoying about it is that you have to remind, you have to be like, no, but remember, that's not my, it's kind of hard to to be like, but that's not my love language. What also, or you get into
0: the thing where you give the exact link to the thing you want to the person. And then you're basically buying your own thing. But that's just what I had to do. Like, I really wanted this amazing ring with diamonds and this blue zircon. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell him, go get this ring. But, but. There is something not as fun about that. There really is. For me, I like, I like the, pres- the idea that the person picked it out, but sometimes that's just not going to be your partner.
1: Oh, I have a follow-up to the conversation oh. that we had about buying clothes at Walgreens. Oh, yeah. I did see at my CVS, they do have quite a few leggings and tunic tops. Yeah, I bought a tunic. Okay. And are, do, how how are you feeling about those clothes months later? Um, well, I never feel
0: bad about the, the underwear from Walgreens because, you know, you need underwear. But the clothes per se, I have to say, like, okay, I bought a tunic from Walgreens, right? Their brand tunic, not CVS. And it's long sleeve, so that's hard to tell because LA has been like 100 degrees, but... Um, I still feel okay about that, but I'm telling you, if I had bought anything else, I'd feel t- I would never wear it. So what I'm saying is, the simple basics, yes, 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 tunics, yes. It- but if you buy anything with a pattern, it's going to be hideous. Flowers—they do flowered like shmata, like mumu situations. Don't hideous,
1: do that. and it does. After one time you wash it, it's like a rag. Right. Yeah. Right. So the bottom line is
0: it's probably
1: not a good idea unless you
0: are really a a connoisseur of, uh, of drugstore clothing and you know, what's going to last and what's not, which is really hard to do. So the underwear is always a good idea, but also the tunic I bought from Walgreens. And I have to say that Walgreens house brand is better than CVS house brand of clothing.
1: Oh, Okay. Oh, you've really done some comparison shopping. I really have. I Walgreens West
0: Loop, it's called, and it's 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 pretty. The quality is a little bit better than that CVS stuff, where you're like, "What? You, why is yeah. this T-shirt so stiff?"
1: You know? Right, right. Well, I think that those clothes are probably they're probably their main demographic is people who spill shit on themselves yes. at yes. work or like poop in their pants or, or, or bleed all over their whatever you know like I the emergency packs of clothes it's good I, for that
0: I think you're so right and I think it's also people who like spend the night unexpectedly at someone's house you know there you like, go have a one-night stand and then have to go to work and are like I'm literally wearing the same exact clothes that I was wearing yesterday so now that would
1: be a suave move for a guy To go to Walgreens, get his little condoms, and then just buy some, you know, some, some clothes that he could say, Hey, I don't know if this is, you know, your thing, but in case you don't want to wear those same clothes, I happen to have a nice little supply of, wait, not West West Loop. What's, what's the CVS brand? West Loop. Oh, CVS? I don't know what the CVS brand is. All right. Well, let's say Walgreens. Here's your West Loop clothes and there's a little drawer and you can have your little toothbrush and toothpaste too. I, I think, think they're very nice service.
0: Beans. I think that's a great, I think that's a really great thing. podcast we have Mary Kay Cook who we went to school with shocker um but we went to school with her she's a she's an actor she's also um she has transitioned into becoming a producer a mega producer for indie stuff and she's she's just really wants to explore um different stories that are untold
1: and um yeah that's right that's right and I, I think everybody will enjoy the story about how she got into producing because so much of life happens in, in that way anyway so please enjoy our interview with Mary Kay Cook there you go it's
0: Stella okay. was her
1: dog she that's perfect you yeah. so might
2: be able to see her too
1: Yeah, that's good. Are you? You're in Chicago, right?
2: That's right. Mm -hmm. So you.
1: Oh, I forgot to say congratulations. You survived theater school.
2: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I did. And
1: and so you never left Chicago, is
2: that right? No, that's not true. I um I I've had most of my career here, but I did do a stint out in L.A. for about a year and a half.
1: Okay, how was that?
2: Um, I hated it.
1: <laughs> tell us tell us what yeah. you hated.
2: <laughs> well, number 1, you know, I sort of say my the the way that I describe life in LA is um can be summed up on by your experience on the freeway. So, you know, everyone is in a car in their own car on this parking lot called the 405 or the 10 or pick a pick a pick a highway. And then to the left, there's what's called a uh, carpool lane. And a carpool is defined as two or more people in a car. Completely empty. (laughs) Completely empty. Everyone else is stuck in this gridlock of a highway trying to get where they're going, to their audition, to their meeting, to their whatever. That's so important. But everyone is doing it alone. And... So that was kind of like, that was like my uh, overall experience of living in LA was like, this just makes no sense. Like, and I come from, of course, the theater school in a very ensemble based background and, you know, let's help out each other go together. And so it was just a very weird um, mentality for me. I was always trying to recreate the Chicago experience while I was there. Like I was always looking for a neighborhood that I could live in that was like, Reminded me of Chicago, but like I couldn't afford Hancock Park or like Los Feliz, you know, uh, I ended up living um, kind of at the juncture of Los Feliz, Silver Lake and Koreatown. But I was technically in Koreatown because I was on the west side of Virgil. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just it was it was one of those things where I was just like, and this was before email mm-hmm. and stuff, and where so like I had to like drive across town into Beverly Hills to get my scripts. Like they'd be like, you have an audition tomorrow, and like the script will be waiting outside the door, you know, your sides and whatever. So I'd have to like go there, drive like an hour and a half to get there get the script come right. back home memorize it then drive like another hour and a half to the warner brothers lot or whatever and so uh, I, thought you know, you were, so
1: I thought when you were telling the the freeway story you were going to say um it, it's it's lonely it sounds like it's a, a, a densely packed city that m- maybe has a lot of lonely people yeah yeah
2: no that that's exactly right that's exactly and- right
1: Boz, since you're there now, I mean, like with technology, you would think that they would have an app for that. Like, let's all carpool. Let's all figure out who's got to get, is it just too hard to manage or people are too, pe- maybe it's because people think they're too important to share I think, a ride.
0: I think people are doing their own thing. It's all about their own process, their own auditions, their own meetings. I got to get mine. And frankly, COVID has in some ways uh, sort of shined a light on um, Um, how lonely it really is. And everyone is now forced to look at themselves and maybe they're discovering things, but my guess is, and Mary Kay, you can chime in. As soon as LA is back to normal, everyone will go back to being their own self again and it won't have changed anything. But I, when were you there? When were you, when were you in LA, Mary Kay? Like what was your.
2: I was there right around um, the year 2000, 2001. Gotcha. Gotcha. So were you, um, a kid that acted your, your butt off? How did
0: you did, Were you just, a, were you a child actor?
2: I was, I was, I was, uh, in a professional children's theater troupe, um, throughout high school. And so at the magic bag theater in Ferndale, Michigan, uh, and I think we were called the lunch bunch players and, oh, um, I love that. <laughs> and basically, um, there were two casts of kids, like we would do shows like The Wizard of Oz or The Velveteen Rabbit or whatever. And basically, um, the, the all these different schools would like bus their kids in to see, to have lunch in a show, like the brown bag, you know, they'd have a brown bag lunch and they would see this show. And so um, I would perform Monday was Wednesdays and Fridays on one week and then Tuesdays, Thursdays on another week. Oh, that's a rigorous schedule for a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, no, but it was great. It was great. It got me out of school, and I was getting paid, and I was doing. You were a child
0: star. Loved. You were a child theater star. We have not had those <laughs> people on our show. Seriously, that's a child. I mean, you were a working actor as a child. Was that at all um, connected to Interlochen, the arts camp in Michigan, or no?
2: I went to the Interlochen Arts Camp um, for many summers. Uh, I did the Michigan. Uh, I was a yellow belter. There was like, you either went for the full summer um, and then you had a blue belt, the eight week program, or you were a Michigan kid that basically like went to interlocking camp for, I think it was like two or four weeks or something. It was not, it was not as uh, long of a program, um, but it was for Michigan kids. And so I went to that most years uh, as well.
1: Well, this is tracking about your rigorous uh, performance schedule at a young age, because one of my lasting impressions of you is how disciplined you are. Um, I remember you as being somebody who always took the work very seriously, who always worked very hard. And even maybe at sometimes looked down at people who weren't working that hard. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, me being whatever, 19, I probably felt differently about it than I would today, which is like, of course, she's working that hard. This is an expensive school. Uh, You get cut if you don't work hard. Like, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But but now with this sort of context of you having been a working actor from a young age, I'm sure nothing about the requirements surprised you.
2: The theater school requirements? Yeah. No, it was actually, well, there was some there were some surprises because I came from um a high school where there were five thousand uh students. Okay. And so my graduating class was twelve hundred. So the, the like incredible dichotomy of then going to a school that I think our, our freshman class had like 80 or a hundred people or something like that. And then I think by the time we all graduated, it was like 20, 21, something like that. It was just, it was so, um, so much different. It was like opposite polar opposites. It was a 180 experience for me, high school to college. And so that was um that was really different you know for me and then also just how in depth everything was there with the with the classes how much um commitment was required and and how i was able to do that every single day and that we didn't have like a lot of like math classes or science and things like that like we had a couple of general um, studies courses, you know that that we had to do, but the fact that so much and um, so much of it was based on body work, breath work, acting, you know, scene study, all of these, you know, audition techniques, you know, all of that—that um, that was a real shift in terms of the educational experience that I had had before, um, and so I really, I really enjoyed that.
1: You you said a couple of general and I, uh, general education requirements. And that's how I remember it, too. Like, I literally remember a couple classes. It, it, did we and did we get that all out of our way in the first year?
2: I feel like it was maybe like the first and second year we were done, and then oh it was like, God. and no then wonder it
0: was. Like, wonder I was like, no wonder I'm
1: an idiot. This is not good. <laughs> no,
2: because
0: <laughs> I
1: I grew up in California public schools, and then I went to a non college college, and then my graduate degree was also very specific. So I, I know nothing is basically yeah. <laughs> what i
0: learned. New name of our podcast: We know nothing. We know um, nothing. Did you did you audition in? Did you come then to the theater school to audition for your um, audition, Mary Kay?
2: Yeah, yeah. My mom and I drove to um, Chicago, and we—I will never forget this. We arrived kind of late at night, and we were staying at the Days Inn, which was over on Clark and Diversity. And we were staying there for my audition, like, the next morning or whatever. And, you know, we got out and, you know, somebody came out uh, to help us with our bags or whatever. And my mom was like, no, no, we've got it. We've we've got it. Because there were, like, you know, there was lots of hustle bustle on the street. I mean... You know, it, it was Chicago at, you know, six, seven at night. So people are going to dinner. They're going to go see a show, you know, go check out a movie around the corner, whatever. Maybe there were some homeless people that walked by and asked for some change or, you know, selling streetwise or something. And my mom was completely freaked out. And she was like, I think we're in a really bad part of town. We just need to get upstairs. <laughs> it's like the
1: nicest
2: <laughs> part of Yeah, it's, it's Lincoln Park, right? That's Lincoln it's Park. It's Lincoln Park. <laughs> That's hilarious. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Granted, like 25 years ago or whatever, but yes. I mean, so it was maybe a little bit different, but I was really excited by the hustle and bustle, the energy of it. And she was just completely freaked out and like, we're going upstairs to our room. We're checking in. Then we're going and, to the in the morning. And, and do, you, uh, do you remember the actual audition experience? I do. I remember, I remember bits and pieces of it. I don't remember, like, I remember we had to do a monologue. I don't remember what monologue I did. But um, I remember there was also, like, uh, a movement um, sort of section to the audition. And I think they had said something like, you know, wear uh, comfortable clothes or clothes that you can easily move in. Well, I also, you know, had been a dancer for many years. (laughs) And so I show up, with like a black leotard and pink tights and like my little ballet wrap skirt you know and um I think <gasps> I had my ballet shoes like in the in, in my bag just in case they wanted me to like oh my do something because I thought I thought we were gonna like learn a combination yes. you know a dance combination or something like that and then everyone else is in like Sweats and flannel shirts and and stuff like that, or and jeans, I, or jeans. We that wore
0: jeans because they didn't know what was happening, so yeah. you were on top of it.
2: I was like, I was like, I got my point shoes in the locker. You want me to go grab them? <laughs> That's
0: what I I do remember this about you is that the, the um, you had a gracefulness, and you still do because you're still think. Thank gosh, around. But you have yeah. a gracefulness um, that I remember about you as you moved through the school, and I always was in awe of that because I'm like a clunky, clunky, clunk or nut. And so, <laughs> um, but I do remember that. So you did your audition, and did you feel good about that audition, Mary
2: Kay? Yeah, I did. I felt like it was really fun. Like I was like, wow, this is really cool because every other school that I. Um, had applied to was much more academically based like Northwestern or I think I applied to like some other Midwestern schools, Wesleyan and um, IU and uh, some other ones that had good theater programs. But this was the only conservatory that I um, applied to. And I think I think that that reason was because at the time it was like the number one conservatory in the nation. And I was like, Oh, well I should just try and go there because it was close. It was in Chicago. It was close enough to home where I was from in Michigan, but you know, I, I wasn't like New York seemed somehow out of reach or going to California right then, you know, I was very close to my family. And, um, so I wanted someplace more Midwestern, but so that was my really only conservatory, um, you know, audition process. And I, I just went in and I just felt like I had a lot of fun with it. As a
1: dancer, um, I, I'm interested to hear your perspective about the movement classes, because I think I remember maybe Judy saying it was hard to let go of her, like she, I think she trained classic Russian ballet. It was mm-hmm. hard to let go of that for the movement classes. Did you have that issue?
2: Yeah at first it, it was just a you know it's a shift in thinking you know um and for example like movement to music ended up being one of my favorite uh classes with John Jenkins god bless him you know because it did um force you to instead of trying to like learn a combination or make this perfect have this perfect line or you know this split or whatever pirouette you know it was really about following your using the music to follow your Instincts, as opposed to, um, you know, having a piece of choreography where you had to sort of work from the outside in,
1: mm-hmm. and so
2: you were in this one. In this one, you, you know, it was a total shift. You were working from the inside out, and it didn't have to be pretty, and it didn't have to make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was very freeing. So it was, you know, yet another tool in the sort of proverbial toolbox. Um, so it did take me a, a a hot minute to like make that shift but then mm-hmm. once i did i was like oh this is this is fucking awesome you know this is great so we we interviewed nick bowling and he told
1: us about oh the project that he had you and Benjamin participate in, in the annex. And when he started talking about it, it it rung like the faintest of distant bells, because of course we didn't get to see it. But for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, it's my understanding that Nick Bowling created a lake in a classroom that wasn't even on the bottom floor. And, and you and, uh, and your classmate, Benjamin, our classmate, had to lay down naked in this pool of water. Is that is that right?
2: Yes, that's correct. Oh my god! <laughs> what yeah. was the deal? Like, what what was that like for you? Um, you know, it was it uh, it was it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> it was really interesting. I remember. I think it was for. I think it was for, he had to do like a production design. He, it was part of his directing program and the MFA program where I, th- I believe he had to do some sort of like visual production design for, I think the show was Troilus and Cressida, if I'm not mistaken. It was something about how these two star-crossed lovers, you know, could only meet in the stars. And so he had basically, I don't know if they were garbage bags or like what, <laughs> like built, like, but it was this black... Pool that was filled with water, and then like up above us was like this moon and like all these stars, and then we were naked, floating there in the in the pool together. I think maybe we were like holding hands or holding pinkies or something like that. But like we had our, I think we had our eyes closed. So it was kind of like one of those things where like all these people came in, kind of like you know how should. But I was kind of like. I can't see them. They can't see me. Right <laughs> but, yeah. But um, I remember here's, this is funny. I remember I was on my period that day
1: oh and I was God, like, of
2: course. Yeah. And so we had like, we had walked into the room like in our robes or whatever, and then disrobed and gotten in the pool. But I remember like, I had to take like a hot minute, like right before that and like, make sure that my tampon string was not showing, you know, oh, and, and, um, I was just like, I was like, Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Today's the day I got my period.
1: <laughs> Indignities of being a woman. I mean, it just, were
0: you, were you, um, did you feel brave in that moment or were you just like, yeah, I'll do it. Did he ask you how did, because I think I would have rather have set myself on fire than been <laughs> naked in a public. And I know it was dark and all that, but you were naked and we were young, young people. Were you, how did you get that bravery? What, what's that about?
2: Well, I think, you know, Nick Bowling is, he came to me with this idea and he was so excited about it and it was all about the art and it wasn't, the focus wasn't um, on the gratuitous nudity. It was about how there were these two pure souls and like they could only exist in this, you know, space and whatever. And it was all going to be done very tastefully. And it was with um, Ben Watson, who was a very good friend of mine. So I felt, you know, comfortable with him. Um, And you know, I was kind of, he He kind of just sold me on his whole vision for it and how, and he did make sure that I was very comfortable and understood, you know, exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to be um, viewed and who was going to see it. And, you know, he, he made a very safe, s- safe space for us to, mm-hmm. to do that. And also at the end of the day, I was kind of like, Fuck it. When am I ever going to get a chance to do something like this again? You know, like you so I'll right. try it. You I'll went for it, it man. It. Yeah. You went
0: for it. Good for you. Good for you.
1: Speaking of Benjamin Watson, do you know where he is? We have uh, tried to figure out where he is, and I n- nobody's ever heard from him again. No,
2: I have no idea. Huh.
1: Oh. oh, Benjamin Watson. If you're out there and if you're listening to this, please. Give us a ring. Let us know you're okay, and then come on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk about memorable show experiences. Um, I don't think I ever did a show with you, Mary Kay. Maybe I. Maybe I'm forgetting. That something. is incorrect. Oh, what did oh. we do?
2: We did a show together called Epsom Downs. Oh, oh I was in that.
1: Too was weird. in that too. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Post you were the what a ghost you of were a, a ghost yeah you were the lead weren't you i was i believe her name was margaret yeah Wendy. yeah and then gina you played my daughter in a <laughs> I stroller did? yes you were in a stroller <laughs> the whole time wait what yes i you don't remember, remember this, this at all no no oh my gosh like literally
1: in a stroller
2: i think you were literally i literally had you <laughs> riding around in a stroller Yeah. I had to push you around in a stroller. Okay, I I, I, Mary I'm
1: Kay. Mad I myself that I can't remember that. That's
0: brilliant, and I think I remember Mary Kay. That
2: I, I hate to say
0: this to anyone else that was in that show, but I think you were probably the best part of that show, Mary Kay, yes. because <laughs> the rest of us didn't know what no. uh, we were going. Remember, Gina? We had to go when we were yes. the
1: spectators. Wait, was Andrew Ramshran in that? Because if so, I think I remember him being so angry that this is what he had to do. Because I, 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 I think it might have been our first show. Was it our fir- the first thing we
2: did? Oh. I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember Andrew Ramshran, but I don't remember if he was in that show or not. It was, everybody felt very, like, demoralized.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I remember,
2: I remember Patrice, she made us all do a thing, it was something like, this is a, this is a story about a person who, and that had, that was like, what, how we had to find our story arc.
0: Yeah, we, that is how we informed our characters, got it, yeah, it was, I remember that, I remember that, I, I. I, we were in a classroom right it was a it was yeah. a classroom thing and i just remember there was a lot of us in it and patrice yeah she was the director but i think yeah i think you you, you really took the took the <laughs> prize for that one mary kay cuz the rest of us were like standing there like idiots oh,
1: so beyond yeah. beyond epsom downs what else do you remember
2: um you know I- I remember a really weird experience with uh, "Roar," of the grease paint smell of the crowd. Oh, right, directed by Betsy, and we were all like gamins. We were like mm-hmm. all of us, you know. I think all the leads were like MFAs, and then there was like a bunch of us uh, urchins, you know, that were yeah. that were they were called gamins. We were basically like the chorus, and um, that was like my first main stage show with Betsy. Um, so yeah, I, that, that one, I, I remember just because I think it was like the first or one of the first. And then there was another one, um, that I really liked that, uh, was called, um, that was directed by Allison Eve Zell. And she was, a also a brilliant, um, MFA director candidate. And I actually worked with her twice, um we did a show together called Harvey and it was a very, um, she, she had, it was, it was like a shock because she cast Harvey as a woman. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, and I played, you were Harvey. I was not Harvey. No, no. That was the, that's the show about the invisible rabbit, right? About the person who thinks they're an invisible rat. Yeah. The invisible rabbit. I played nurse Kelly in that one. And, um, but I really liked working with her. My favorite show, the next show that I did with her um, that she cast me in was, uh, Desdemona a play about a handkerchief.
1: I did that. I was in yeah. that. I forget, yeah. I forget what, I forget what I did in it, but oh yeah, she, okay. Yeah.
2: Desdemona. And so, and so I played, I played Desdemona in that. And then, um, and, and, and I just loved that show because it was, um, you know, it was Othello told from the women's point of view and like what was happening, you know, behind the scenes or, you know, in the scenes not included in the play and how, you know, how Desdemona and her relationships with her handmaiden and everybody, you know, everybody else was was informed. Um, and so I thought that she had a really interesting and beautiful take on that. And um, I really, really enjoyed uh, working with working with her on that because um, it was basically you know, taking a classic text and like modernizing it, flipping it down its head and, and looking at it from the, the, the woman's point of view, um, which so often gets overlooked in, in, in Shakespeare. So I really enjoyed that one.
1: We... Uh, oh, I just totally lost my train of thought. I was going to say something about Alice, and we're going to be talking to her, but that's not what I was going to say. Oh, it'll no, come back to me.
0: I have a question. Um, With we we were talking about we talk a lot about the cut system and the warning system and stuff like that were you uh, scared of that did you know about that first of all did you know about that when you started the school that there was a cut system and then the second of all were you was that something that was in your consciousness as you made your way through the first and second years
2: yes i was aware of it being a cut system and yeah it was definitely something that um was you know, I was aware of that, like, um, I could spend $50,000 and, like, have nothing to show for it, like, and just, you know, have them be like, okay, thank you, bye. Um, You know, so, so that was always like an awareness for me. um, Because, you know, I don't come from a very uh, wealthy background, my parents did every single thing that they could to, you know, provide for us and everything. But it's not like, $50,000 $50,000 wouldn't have been a big deal. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so it, it was something that I was aware of, but I tried not to uh, focus on, on it um, in terms of I didn't want to let the fear drive any choices that I made. Um, the fear of that, I was just like, look, I just have to do the best that I can. And if that's not good enough, then I'll figure something else out. Um, but, you know, so, so I just, again, just tried to be very disciplined and, and do the best that I could. And, um, I never got put on warning. Um, I remember, I think it, I think my advisor was Don Ilko. Mm -hmm. And I remember he like, maybe this was like my first or second year when he had like they, you had, you had to like get brought in for like an evaluation or whatever. I, I don't think I ever had him as a teacher or I hadn't had him as a teacher at that point. And he was like, Mary Kay. And I was like, yes. Uh, yes, dad. And he's like, I hear you're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, great. And he's like, so you're not on warning <laughs> yet, and I was like, yeah. oh. and I was like, okay, great, thanks. Um, any other feedback? And he's like, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious.
0: That's hilarious.
2: Did you get? Um, so
1: I, I actually I've never asked anybody this question before. Um, did you get at least sometimes the roles that you wanted to get?
2: I felt like I never got the roles that I wanted to get. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think that's universal. And that's probably in some ways why we got cast in the things that we got cast in. Um, but the, the downside of that is if you don't get cast in something that you would get cast in, you know, or that it'd be likely for you to get cast in outside of the theater school, it kind of failed to prepare you in a certain type of a way. Um, any memorable roles that you were dying
2: for that you didn't get? Oh gosh <laughs> I mean <laughs> uh, now now that I'm on the spot about thinking about I'm like now I can't even think of one um, <laughs> I just remember audition like I remember auditioning for plays, especially like main stage shows right like because you would audition for the main stage shows and then you would... If you didn't make it into a main stage show, then um, then you got just sort of like slotted into a play that you had no idea about. Now, I, I think there was a there was a role that I really wanted in um, the women. Oh, that was a main stage show. Um, I think that was directed by Susan Lee. Yeah, it was. And um, I wanted a, I wanted a, a role in that. Didn't get it, but then I think. I think I ended up getting Desdemona that at that time, you know, or something. It was something like that, um, which turned out to be an amazing experience, you know. Um, and uh, I did end up, I wanted, one thing, I wasn't sure. I mean, of course, everybody wants to play a Lady M um, in the Scottish play, but I knew that, you know, that was never in the cards because there were so many, wonderful, talented MFA. uh, Who did play that role? It was Alicia somebody. Alicia. I can't remember. And then Tim Gregory was, uh, yeah, the man. Um, But I did end up getting cast in that show, and I was the third witch slash gentlewoman
1: yes you were the witch oh you one were of so witches. good in that oh, you were, and that. were
0: didn't you didn't everybody play drums weren't there drums involved <laughs> Japanese <laughs> drumming
1: <laughs> I remember it now
0: yes, yes. That was a good
2: show yeah that was really a good, good show that was a really good show I really enjoyed that one so um every every witch was also then another role like so like the first witch was like also Lady Macduff. And then I think um, Louise Rosette was the second witch. And she was also, um, I think she was like the porter or something. Yeah, Yeah. And then I was the third witch slash uh, the gentlewoman, Lady M's uh, assistant witch. I came up with the brilliant idea that they were actually the same person. <laughs> i love it i love, love it. it It's very deep <laughs> and so i was like the whole time that because we were good witches right we were trying to pr- provide the good to you know to counterbalance the evil um that that was ha- that happens in the play and so like the whole take was that we were good witches and so i was like wait a minute like i just like i had this epiphany one day in rehearsal i was like the third witch is the gentlewoman. She's, every time she's there with Lady M, she's trying to like help, you know, massage, Uh and bring a spell. So I had like these little hand gestures that I would do or like prayers that I would, you know, when I would say my lines over her and stuff or to her with her, it was always with this intention of, you know, correcting the wrong, righting the wrong and you were like you were like a grown up, Mary Kay. Like the rest of the rest of I feel
0: like you were a grown up doing like real work there. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I ne- I never like got that deep. So good for you. I mean, and it showed. That was a great show.
1: It was a great show. I have a I have a memory of that show. Do you guys remember? There was somebody. I think he must have been MFA. He was a lighting designer. He had like white blonde hair. It was kind of long. I Keith Keith, yes, Keith, do you remember his last name?
0: Uh no, he designed the yellow boat too, though
1: right. I was sitting next to him when we were watching Macbeth, and I know you're not supposed to say it, but I said yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a great show, and i w- I think it was intermission or maybe it was at the end um i i I was so floored and i was and I was just sitting there, and he was too, and then he turned to me and he goes, "Can you believe it?" and I said, "I know so good, he goes. Yeah, that red interfacing on Lady Macbeth's costume. I mean, Stacy Caballero is a fucking genius. And I thought, oh, this is what it's like when you're a designer and you watch a play. You're to- it's not that you don't care about what's happening with the acting, but it's totally not what's on the forefront of your mind. And it was helpful because it made me think about. I mean, I was so it was a it was an epiphany because it never occurred to me that you would watch a play with a different. Sort
2: of focus,
1: and so and now I think you're still acting, but your main focus is producing. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. My evolution as a storyteller. Hmm. Tell us about it. Okay. Uh, well, God, I feel like I'm talking about me so much, but I guess that's that's the point. The, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the point, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> If you want to have
2: a podcast and have us on it, we, we can talk about ourselves. Awesome. <laughs> but for today, we want to hear about you. Okay. Okay. Um. So basically, after I graduated, after we graduated, um, I you know started working uh, pretty quickly in commercials and things along those lines. Um, my big break was that I was the Tampax girl for two years. Um, <laughs>
1: I didn't and, know that. Uh, so on TV commercials?
2: Yeah. Yeah. my, oh. I, my That was how I joined uh, SAG was that um, I did a spec spot for Tampax and uh, I got cast as the Tampax girl in, in a spec spot. And I think they did like four. They did like four test spots or whatever demos. And for whatever reason, mine got picked and then like for the next like eighteen months I was the Tampacks girl. Awesome. And and then um and so that was great because I would just like open up the mailbox and I would be it was like I won the lottery every couple weeks. I oh. would get like a res like this you know, residual checks or whatever. That's awesome. And then um and you know, so I worked a lot in commercials and then um, for a while, I was the Love's Diaper Mom, and, like, that ran for a really long time. I was like, anything that has to do with the uterus, like, I did <laughs>
0: Which is interesting, because at the is. theater school, you had the tampas, tampon experience in the in the I dark, did. in the cold, wet water. It was foreshadowing. <laughs> anyway, so you were, you were commercial kicking butts in commercials.
2: So I was doing commercials, and then, like, I think I got, like, a thing. You know, I got, like, one, uh, a little... Thing on early edition. There wasn't a lot of other, you know, TV and film going on at that time. I did early edition. Um, I ended up getting cast in Stir of Echoes um, with David Kep and, you know, starring Kevin Bacon. And um, so that was awesome. You know, so I was, I was working pretty steadily. I wasn't doing a ton of theater, um, but I was doing more like commercial work and industrials and, you know, the odd TV and film thing that would come through. And then one day um, I got a call from a friend of mine, a former, a former boyfriend um, now kind of, you know, we left on, you know, pretty good terms, kind of friend. Uh, He was a businessman and, but what he really wanted to do was direct. (laughs) And so he calls me up one day and he's like, hey, so um, I wrote this movie for you and I'd really like for you to read it and, and star in it. What do you think? And I was like, um, yes. like <laughs> Because this this uh, this guy, he kind of had the Midas touch. Like everything that he did, touch turned to gold. He was super genius. He's like the, the smartest person that I've ever met on the planet so far. And I, you know, I was like, okay, like we can do this, you know? And so anyway, so he sent me the script and, um, I was like, okay, so I'm SAG. So that means, you know, we have to, um, turn this project SAG. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, it's a screen actors guild. It's the union. I'm like, I'll put you in touch with, um, the person to sign the paperwork. At the time it was Kit Woods. He's like, okay. So he said, you know, he goes and he signs that. I'm like, and so, um, so who else is like doing this? Like, who's your DP? And he's like, what's that? I'm like, it's the director oh, wow. of photography. I'm like, it's the guy got- person who like films and lights what we see in the moving motion picture. <laughs> and, uh, pretty I'm, important. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you need like a gaffer and like, we got to, you know, do this, that, and the other thing. And so, um, and so I had some, you know, I had a lot of connections, um, to the different crew members just from having worked with them um for for such a while and so I was able to introduce him to some people and sort of you know get the project going and and then um he uh you know we we would talk about the script and like structure of the script and I was like you know this isn't really making sense and I know you kind of want it to it's it's kind of like it was a very much an ensemble piece but it was like kind of a hodgepodge of all these like stories interwoven and I was helping him, like, restructure some of it, um, and, like, <clears throat> I think, I remember I took, I, I pulled the script apart, and I, and I went from, uh, I, I laid down the pages all along his house, like, how I thought they should go from beginning to, from beginning to end, all in the corner, all around his house, and we would, like, walk, and we would read the thing <laughs> together, we would walk, and, Wow. and maybe he's like wow he's like yeah that makes sense and then like we would be like oh wait this sh- scene should go over here because it you know the, it'll cut better with this one and um and so so anyway so so we did so i was doing all of that and um at, at, after a while i was like you know i think what i'm doing is called producing <laughs> i was like exactly i was like do you just want me to produce this movie too and he was like yes wow and so i made the great mistake of producing and starring in a low budget independent film <laughs> a mistake uh, because it was so much work it was so much work it was it was just so it was just so so much work and it was for me it was trial by fire because though i knew what to do i knew the things like we have to have catering and we have to have craft service and we have to make sure people get in and out on time and we have to sign these things called exhibit G's. But I had never been in charge of any of that, of the planning of that. You know, I just knew that it needed to happen. So for me, it was a real trial by fire um, because it was like, you know, I would shoot a scene then I would immediately get on the phone and I would call the agents and I'd be like, okay, here's the, you know, here's what's happening for, you know, the next day or, you know, tell their per- the person, this is their call time. And, you know, I had to, I put together, you know, call sheets. I was like, I don't know how to fucking do this. You know, <laughs> I was like, right. uh, you know, it was, it was, um, it was on a shoestring budget and it was, uh, it was, it was, like I said, it was a trial by fire because, I was constantly either learning lines, performing, or getting stuff ready for for the rest of the show to go. And um, at the end of the day, it turned out that uh, that movie ended up premiering at um, a film festival called CineQuest, um, yeah. which was one of the bigger ones at the time. Um, and uh, it did really well on the festival circuit won a couple of awards. So now all of a sudden I was an award-winning producer. Wow. And that's kind of that's and then people just started calling me and being like, hey, can you help me with my project? Can you do it? Wow. like, can you help me produce this? And um so it it happened, I became a producer on accident. I mean, right. that's the,
0: uh, what What better way? <laughs> Where does that come from? Do you think, do you, do you, were, was that fostered in you as a little, as as a girl to be like, Hey, I could do that. That's sort of my Mary Kay sort of attitude is like, Hey, I could do that. How did
2: you do that? Well, I mean, I think I'll try and almost anything once, <laughs> you know, like I just have this attitude of life is meant to be lived and it's, um, an adventure you know and it's and and it's exciting for me like um i always say that uh like i could i i love living in the city okay but i've also you know i've also spent four months living in an ashram in india do you know what i mean so like i i i like extremes i cannot do the suburbs like the suburbs make me itchy and really agitated, and I can't, I can't live, uh, in that sort of, um, space, like, I crave new experiences, and it, like I said, I'm an Aries, so, like, adventure, and, mm-hmm. you know, I always think, uh, there's always something new to learn. Like I'm a, i am aii feel like I'm a student of life. And so there's always something more that I can learn. And that also in turn, that learning informs me as an artist, Mm -hmm. you know, about what the types of stories that I want to tell and the, the trajectory of, of my life as an artist.
1: I'm so happy that that happened to you because another thing that I wanted to bring up, which is sort of like, it's it's something I've never really talked about with anybody else. Um, my, my impression, uh, you'll have to correct me if I'm right. My impression is if you were beautiful at the theater school, um, you got relegated to a lot of beautiful roles. And sometimes that, I'm sure it was great for people, um, but sometimes it seems like it was also a cage for other people. And I'm just wondering... I mean, so like, number one, I'm really happy that you so quickly out of school learned this about yourself, that you were so capable as a producer. It sounds like you've had a great career because of it. But I'm just curious about your experience of like being a beautiful girl in the theater school. And I I imagine that that's a little bit of a double-edged sword.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. (laughs) Um, I... uh... I guess I would have to start by saying, I never thought, I, I didn't think that the most exciting thing about me was that people thought that I was pretty or attractive in some way. Um, I do remember there being a class, I can't remember who, who was it, was it was it Osselhoff? where he was like what's the first thing people notice about you. Probably that sounds like something he would have said. Yeah. <laughs> and and um I think I think I said my lips. Because at that point I think I was wearing like a lot of like I was like always wearing lipstick
1: mm-hmm. or something.
2: And so I was like, the first thing people would notice about me when I, when they walk in the room is, is lips. Cause I think I was at that point, I was going through like a red lipstick phase or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes. And, um, you know, just like a slight winged black eyelid, cat mm-hmm. eye, you know, yes, like. I yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, my lips. And he was like, nope, it's your boobs. Oh. And everyone else in the, class was like, yeah, Mary Kay, it's your boobs. Like, that's the first thing we notice about you. This happened in a class? Is that you have big boobs. Yeah. And I was like, (sighs) okay, gross. Like, there's, like, maybe, you know, I, I also fed into that sort of idea and saying lips and, you know, something physical or whatever. Like, I think that was the point was like, like if it was Ben Watson we'd say wow he's really tall he's a really yeah. tall guy you know what i mean but um but yeah i remember being like wow okay so that's what you see that's of me and and you know there there was certainly Um, you know, it, it's, it fed into an insecurity of me of like, I have, you know, I have a, when I first started working of being like, okay, I have, um, $100,000, you know, classical training acting degree. Um, but the first thing that people are going to see about me, the way I'm going to get cast is because I have big boobs and, you know, and certainly some of that, um, you know, did, did happen. Um, a lot of times, especially in commercials, they would like flatten me, try and flatten me down. Do you know what I mean? Cause like my boobs were too big to sell whatever product. Diapers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, um not those two in particular. I think the KitchenAid one. I remember KitchenAid, craft made kitchen cabinets. They yeah, so the people like- who have big boobs don't cook anything. So. And they don't yeah. have cabinets. They don't <laughs> have. Yeah, they, cabinets. They, they certainly don't have. They certainly don't have um, kitchen cabinets. But, um, but so, anyway, so I remember that always kind of being a thing, and always wanting be, to be uh, taken more seriously, um, as far as as that goes. And then I remember at one point I was bartending. But I know because I never wanted to I never wanted to to go that route, like of only playing those types of characters or um, you know, the big boobed, you know, you know, character or whatever, you know, the funny, you know, a bimbo, d- like a funny ditsy, bimbo. Yeah, like the Ditzy Bimbo or whatever. Like that wasn't interesting to me. But um so I I kind of like stayed away from from those as much as I could. I do remember I was bartending one, uh, at one place and this was, uh, you know, met several years after, after the theater school. And there was, um, I can't remember if he was like an official playboy photographer or if he was like, if he was like, uh, amateur, (laughs) (laughs) Uh...
1: (laughs) <laughs> he's like I'm, I'm an aspiring playboy photographer yeah I come yeah back to my
2: apartment yeah it was like one of those that he was like he was like but he was like you should do you should do playboy like if you want to be an actress like that's a really good way to like get in and get noticed is like to be Miss September or whatever like you're going to meet all the right people and blah 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 like you should totally do this and I had had a very um sort of scarred experience of having um my my boobs on film um and pre like when I when I first got out of school I had done a movie where I was um and this was before I was union and I was um you could th- there was like you could see my boobs in it. it was having it was like a sex scene and you could see my boobs and I remember like I was at the theater. Uh, at the premiere with my mom (laughs) and like I saw my boobs and she saw my boobs and I saw her seeing my boobs. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, this, this isn't, this isn't for me. Like it was, it was a real learning experience for me in that I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want, and that movie ended up, you know, selling and, and, you know, I only got the money that I got for the the days that I I was there. I didn't get residuals. I didn't get anything, but they, um, made some money off my boobies. And I was like, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to do that again. Yeah, You know, but it's like one of those things where, you know, it's, it's kind of like you have to own your mistakes and live and learn and just say, okay, well then I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that again anymore. I've learned, I've learned that was one of the lessons, you know, hopefully that you only need to learn once.
1: (laughs) What would you say to somebody who was like you in some way, who's at theater school now um, maybe having a similar experience that people are reflecting back to her something about what they see that doesn't necessarily fit with what she sees. What's some advice you would give that person?
2: Fuck them. Yeah. Right.
1: Fuck them all. (laughs) I mean, like
2: that's, if that's your perception of me, fuck off. Like, I don't need that in my life, you know? And it's, it's, it's really more about how you see yourself and projecting that and finding your tribe that supports and loves and uplifts that version and that vision of yourself that you want to cultivate. Like don't buy into it. Did you have that at school? I don't really think I did. I really, I really don't think, I mean, I, I feel like I had, um, I had good friends, but I was very, like, I hadn't really found my voice yet there or how to speak up for myself yet there. I just was learning that I needed to.
0: Do you feel like you have your tribe now? Did you find
2: a tribe? I feel like I have a great tribe now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's an important step
1: zero: identifying. Hmm, this is this is a missing component of my life, and and uh, you know you have to have that. You have to have all. I, I in a way, I think especially for artists, you really have to attend to the other areas of your life, the things that round you out, because. The whole thing about being an artist is being able to draw from your personal experience. And if, you're, if, 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 if your personal experience is impoverished in some way, your art suffers from it. Yeah. Well, this is a beautiful note to end on. Unless there was a fabulous story you wanted to make sure you uh, got in. <laughs>
2: Is there any
0: any any um just last minute feedback if someone's like hey if you're on set and and a young actor's like hey Mary Kay I want to go to theater school I want to go to a conservatory what would you say
2: Yeah I would say go for it I mean I I really do appreciate uh you know everything that I learned there not only um in terms of not only in terms of the technical skills that we learned, you know. Um the, I certainly feel like we all came out of there with a big bag of tricks. Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of skills that we can apply for um for for, for telling a story um from the from the from the inside out. And so for me, you know, that was a really valuable that was a really valuable education. Um and, you know, in my journey as a storyteller, I've also learned, um, particularly in filmmaking, which is sort of like now my preferred uh, method of of sharing stories. Um, as a producer, I've learned how to uh, tell those stories from the outside in, mm-hmm. you know. So um, in my sort of evolution, I feel like Okay, I know how to tell a story from the inside out. I know the um, emotion, you know, and that's like a very emotional, you know, uh, inner process, right? And then I also know now, after many years of producing, how to do, how to use the other side of my brain and use, the, do all the logistics to get it done, to make sure that the story gets made, you know, on time, on budget, and all of those things. Um, and so for me, I feel like the next sort of Genesis of where I'd like to go as a storyteller is in the more in the writer director realm, creating those stories because and sharing the stories that only you know, only I can tell. Um, The last few years, like when I've been able to sort of pick and choose more what types of stories um, and films I'm going to be involved in, it's always been for me um, at the sweet spot has always been where art meets activism. You know, that that's been um, really my sweet spot. And I really want to amplify traditionally marginalized um, voices and stories. And you know, so I've been I've been doing that and I've and that ha- work has been very gratifying. And I think it's only now that I've sort of um, come into the sort of power or the idea that, and you know what some of those stories are mine too. Mm-hmm. You know that that need to be told and 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 I know how to do that. So that's going to be my kind of next big adventure. Um, so that's a really long, wind oh, I, love <laughs> it. I love it
0: because to, 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 you know, what I'm seeing is that you started with the inside, right. With, as an actor that you went outside as a producer, and now you're sort of coming back to the inside and integrating both the inside and the outside. So that's fantastic. And I know that you're going to yeah. rock it out.
2: Oh, thanks. I hope yeah. so. But yeah. If there's if there's somebody who wants to go to a theater school, I think that the advice would be, yeah, go. If if that's what you want to do, do it and and dream big. Just love that. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on my website, marykcook.com.
1: I Survive Theater School is an undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at undeniable Writers or on Twitter at undeniablewrit1. That's undeniable right without the e1. Thanks.